0: Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. Today I'm recording a really special episode because I'm here today talking with Rose Agdami, who was one of our students on our first ever cohort of Psychology Business School. So this is an episode that's really close to my heart, um, but I'm really excited to talk to Rose today about her journey because I know that Rose has trodden a path that many of you are thinking about, many of us consider as psychologists. So Rose has made the transition from working in the clinical environment to doing much more coaching in her practice. And I really want to talk today about what that journey was like, what it felt like, the training uh, and the route that Rose has taken. So I'm really, really pleased to have you here today. Welcome to the podcast, Rose. Thanks very much.
1: It's lovely to be here.
0: So could you start by just giving us a little bit of a summary of, of who you are and how you help people?
1: Yes, sure. So I'm Rose Akami and uh, I've been working as a clinical and counseling psychologist for many, many years and supervisor of clinical and counseling psychologists for for twenty plus years. And um, currently I work as a more as a coaching psychologist and also as a supervisor of psychologists and also of coaches. Uh, My specialism is in resilience and building resilient skills and I give talks and presentations about that to mostly businesses but sometimes to other organisations as well Um, and including groups of coaches so uh, they learn how to coach for resilience uh, through those workshops.
0: Okay, so there's so much I want to ask you about but I'm going to force myself to be chronological about this. (laughs) So take us back then, to when you're working as a clinical and a counselling psychologist, Mm -hmm. when did you decide that you wanted to start working more on the preventative side of things?
1: I would say this started um, perhaps about 10 years ago now, when I was working in a very, very lovely um, private clinic, the Cardinal Clinic near Windsor, and I thoroughly enjoyed being part of that team and and, uh, in that setting. Um, and I saw more and more people coming in to the clinic, either as outpatients or as inpatients, with burnout or heading towards burnout. And each year there seemed to be more. And so it's such a terrible um, situation to be in, not just for the individual, but for their families, for their teams, for their employers. Um, it can take a long time to recover from burnout, Um some weeks in the clinic or many months uh, as an outpatient or combination of both. Um, and when people go back to wanting to return to work, it's difficult for everyone. The person who's experienced burnout can wonder whether they'll ever be trusted again with the interesting work and the best, the best projects. Um, the employers don't quite know what to do, should they treat with them with kid gloves and be careful. So everybody wants. The same thing you know they want to be kind to each other careful um and uh, and that's very difficult to negotiate so i thought there must be a better way than firefighting this uh is there a way of being more preventative so Thinking about all the symptoms of burnout and thinking about the anxiety that it um, evokes and so on, I decided to try and look at the what I consider to be the, the best antidote to stress and anxiety and burnout, which is uh, resilience building. And so um, I looked into it. I love research. So I was quite careful to look for evidence based Elements of resilience and draw together what I consider to be the key elements of those uh, of of all of that research that I looked at um, in order to know what the the core of resilience was and put them together in an easy to remember model fuel fuel your resilience, which sort of I thought says it all in terms of recharging and everything um, and started to build it into my therapy work Uh, In those last few sessions, when you're beginning to disengage from the therapeutic work and thinking ahead to how the person will um, take with them something from the therapy and prepare them for relapse prevention and so on. And so I used to run through the fuel model with the patients in the clinic. And it seemed to go down really well. Um, And so they would come back saying, I've been fueling all week and so on. And they would stick the model up on a post-it note or something on their fridge and just be reminded. So um, it's a practical model really. So people knew what to do. They didn't simply know about the theoretical side, but they knew what to do. And then over time, I was asked um, by various people, to give presentations to HR professionals or to companies to build resilient skills to spot early signs of burnouts and so on Um, and so the word spread and and I was really delighted to see how people seem to be able to really use it because I love theory but I'm more of a practical hands-on person in terms of how I deliver my psychological sessions and so on. I like people to, to know the background and understand why I'm suggesting things, but also to have that so what question in their minds. You know, So we know now that this is important, so what? How do I make use of that day to so, day? So that's how it sort of evolved, really, in terms of... You know, a transition from um, more purely therapeutic work to including this preventative element that um, that I hoped would would go down well both in businesses uh, as well as in other organisations, um, and that seemed to se- seem to be the, the, something that the patients found useful in feeling more prepared to go back to work and deal with inevitable. Uh, sometimes very huge pressures
0: in life. Wow. I mean, I just want to take a minute to pause and reflect on what an amazing achievement that is, because not only did you synthesize a huge amount of research, it sounds like, to, to come up with what was going to be the most helpful framework for people, but you also managed to boil down this concept of resilience, which, I think any of us who, who've who done work in this space, we hear this misused all the time mm. and, and contributing to burnout. You hear people talking about, you know, their employer beating them over the head with the term, you've got to be more resilient um, as though that means that they can just kind of suppress their emotions all the time. And it's, it's, it's used to mean you can never say no to anything, yes. which is, yeah. you know, almost the opposite mm. of what we would term mm. as a psychological resilience. And so I just love what you've done, taking all of that kind of psychological knowledge, research and understanding and distilling it into something that is so memorable and easy to apply for for your clients and your your patients. Mm -hmm. I I just think that's intensely valuable. And I hope that people listening to this can hear the, the value in that. Like it sounds like, oh, yeah, it's a catchy name. Yes, it's, and it is very catchy. It's brilliant. And from a marketing perspective, brilliant name. Um, But it also is going to really help the clients. Clients really hook on to things which they can say something like, I've been fueling all week. Yeah. That that, that really makes a difference to how people apply this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I'm just really impressed by that. That's Mm -hmm. fantastic. So, how did, how did you, take it forward from there so you've got to the point where you're using this clinically you've been asked to speak about it where did you go from there? Well
1: um, after speaking about it and uh, using it in sessions and so on I I found that I thoroughly enjoyed that stage of the work Um, the preventative the thinking ahead the um, reaching having reached the stage where the the repair, um, the focus on the repairing was done. Then I really enjoyed that that, as it were, final stage of a therapy client's journey, um, and I started getting asked, having done a number of presentations, um, to coach some employees of the HR directors who who were in the audience, or individuals who were in the audience, and so on. So my focus was shifting towards that type of work um which i i would say was was more like coaching work um and within that and just pick up on your very good point very very relevant point about how resilience can be misused and uh, used as a a a sort of threat almost you know why aren't you resilient enough and so on um absolutely spot on um I remember giving some talks to uh, groups of nurses uh, within the NHS and in private clinics and so on. Um, but especially with the NHS, and I don't think it's only nurses that experience this. Um, but also in uh, with corporate clients, this this cropped up time and time again. you know I can uh, people would say I can hardly to hear that word. you know I, I heard it so many times in a negative connotation that I really I'm up to here with it. Um, but within the model, the fuel model is uh, to use your own resources including your loyalty to yourself. And so for me resilience is uh, includes very very importantly the ability to know one's own limits, the ability to be loyal to oneself as well as to others but to oneself, and the ability to recognize that you know resilience is about having a voice um, and not. Uh, just taking on what, what people expect or want of you. So having, having all of that in my mind through the experience that I'd, I'd built up by then, um, I, I then thought I really find it energizing this, this more coaching style of work and um, I suppose there were two reasons or, or two, two uh, areas of motivation for me to, to think about taking that further. One, I'd by now done many, many years as a clinical psychologist and coaching psychologist with different focus, uh, different areas of focus, but uh, I'd, I'd been in that role for lots, lots of years. And I think I was sort of ready for a bit of a change. Um, and secondly, I think over those years, although I'm quite good at um, recharging and And doing things that aren't work related and doing things I just love, Um, especially having read lots of research that shows very clearly that this is what you need. So it's much easier to give yourself permission then to do these lovely things and think, I'm just doing this so that I'll be recharged for my job. Um, So... But I, I think I was feeling a cumulative effect. You know, in the clinic I mentioned, I would say it was more the heavy end of, of the spectrum of, of the presentations that you might come across. And I think I felt that uh, I'd perhaps leave that to somebody else to, to pick up on. And I, I might prefer at that stage of my career to do something that I felt was more energizing for me. So um, so that led me to train in coaching or at least to have coaching more on my horizon. Um, And then I had a new next door neighbor, Carol Wilson, who um, we we just hit it off from the first sort of encounter when she just asked me some question about the area and I answered her and we just found ourselves talking for, for a long time and really getting on, became great friends. Um, And she has a a successful coach training business. And um, so she and I had lots of conversations about coaching, the difference between coaching and psychology, and why was coaching better paid, and all these sorts of nitty-gritty questions. Um, And so she encouraged me to do some coach training, which I then did, um, in part because I thought I hear so much about coaches and coaching, and coaching by people who aren't psychologists, who don't have our background. I was really curious to know what this thing was. Um, you know, how can people, after a short course, do anything very meaningful, valuable, effective um, after we've spent years training for, for our role as psychologists? We've all so, thought that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was curious to know um, what what this was all about. So I did the training. Um, and sort of as a result of that and becoming a member of a bit of a community of, of peers uh, who'd trained with me and so on. Um, and you know what it's like with the, um, the red jumper syndrome or the, the the Ford focus syndrome, whatever it is, once you start focusing on something. I think that our more professional jargon is the reticular activation system <laughs> where we notice things that are relevant to us. Um and so, uh, so yeah, I, I just noticed the coaching psychology section in the BPS and, and so on and so on. So I just got more and more into that, that way of um, thinking, working, and developing my skills and my network and uh, did more and more coaching. It, it evolved. It, it sort of evolved without too much of a deliberate step. Um, so it was a gradual transition. I had this sort of overlap of quite a lot of therapy clients, some coaching clients and then they gradually um, changed emphasis so I was doing more and more coaching and less and less therapy.
0: So what was your kind of lived experience of the difference between psychology work and coaching? How how different do they feel to Mm -hmm. you? There's something about my professional
1: identity which I had to get used to um because as we've acknowledged there's something about the title of coach which which is very very broad um coaches i think can be extremely extremely effective fantastic you know i've heard people's experiences of of coaching um and uh, it can be a very valuable role to have um i've heard other Experiences of coaching where it seemed to be um, a bit more like just time. I, I shouldn't say just because it's valuable in itself, but things like time management, um, things like uh, stress management tips, and so on. Which, depending on the person's need, it can be uh, helpful. Um, but it's, I would say, a world away from what, as psychologists, we can offer. And when I think of myself as a coach, I I think of myself and generally refer to myself as a coaching psychologist because it, I think for many people it does add a layer of um, extra weight in a, in a sense. Um, some people won't want that, it, as we know, as psychologists, some people are, are scared by that or uh, wonder whether we're going to read their minds and so on. So for some people it won't help in terms of attracting clients and so on, but I prefer to stay with, within that bracket, as it were, of, of people who have got a substantial um, amount of, of solid training behind them. So, um, so it felt as though I needed to, in my own mind, make sure of my own sense of identity. Um, I didn't want to be seen to be a coach who had trained for just a few days um, and then putting themselves out there uh uh, so so that's why for me it was important to to stay with that title of coaching psychologist or that that reference as to coaching psychologist so the identity was quite important um the skill set which i think again it overlaps but it is generally different it's far more it's what way i see it looking ahead um yes of course accepting that the past has an impact, and depending on the client you're working with, um, more or less attention might be paid to that. Um, But the skills of trying to encourage the the client to stay with the aim they come with, you know, the the end in mind, keeping the end very much in mind, you know, what are we working towards, and just gently nudging them back to that, if that's what they've said they're coming for. Um, rather than go too far down what can be the rabbit hole of uh, looking into the past and and so on. So for me, that was um, something to work through and practice and see what worked best and what didn't and so on, just so that I made sure I was offering coaching and not offering therapy. For both reasons um, of thinking about what the client had come for, but also what I had made this step for. You know, I I was aware that I wasn't really any longer available for the intensity of that sort of therapy that um, I'd been used to working with all these years. I'd I'd made that decision for myself for for the reasons I've mentioned. So um, I wanted to stay loyal to my own reasons for making that step and if i realized that somebody could benefit far more from that at least for a stage than what i would consider coaching then i would suggest to them that they did work on that but perhaps not with me Um, and then the other reason of course the person coming to me for coaching um, and having said perhaps in the, the initial call the introductory call this is what they want to achieve. Um, If we were to go back, as we might naturally do as part of the course of therapy, um, I would wonder whether they would be getting what they've come for. And so it's, of course, possible to ask the person, which is what I would do. Um, But I would be aware of that and just make sure that, you know, that, that, where they wished their focus to remain. Um, if, if there was something of a, um, not conflict, but an opportunity to go either way, then, then I'd check it out with them and, and keep my own loyalty to myself in mind as well.
0: That's really interesting. And I think it reminds me a little bit of what it's like when I, I teach hypnobirthing. Because I'm a psychologist that teaches hypnobirthing. Mm-hmm. And I wrestled with that too. Like, can I, am I now a hypnobirthing teacher? it well, doesn't seem quite right because, you know, for a lot of people, that's only like a four day course. Um, and actually what I'm bringing to this is, is, you know, psychological formulation. And actually I settled on offering a package which allowed me to, to be my identity in that role. So I only work mm-hmm. with people who have been through a, a trauma Uh, birth Mm. trauma or related trauma that makes birth particularly difficult Mm. for them Um, but I'm always thinking you know they didn't come to me for therapy Mm. so I can highlight to them where therapy might be useful and sometimes that might be therapy with me often it's not often it's referring that on but it's it's always trying to hold in mind what they actually came to me for yeah
1: Um,
0: and also you know what I want to offer and what I want to make sure I deliver in this Mm. course i'm offering and it sounds like you've been through a really similar kind of process to trying to get comfortable with that for yourself
1: yes yes exactly it sounds very 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 similar
0: one thing i wanted to ask you was about the value of the training that you did Mm. so i I mean i I know you you mentioned the name of it briefly but do feel free to mention that again so that people can look it up and just what do you feel that you took from doing that additional training
1: Yeah, Um, it was training run by um, the the company that Carol Wilson has. And she also has some books uh, called something like performance coaching, Um, but she comes up very readily on Amazon or on a search. Um, So it was, it spanned, I would say a couple of months, but it was a few days of one-to-one training and not by Carol, but by her trainer um James and then there were uh, exercises and so on to do and you had a buddy from the course that you would have practice coaching calls with and so on and then there would be another two or three days of, of coaching and an assessment and so on so the practice in between was very helpful. Um, what I found was very good was that there was a lot of uh, experiential learning during the face-to-face um, days and there were, a lot of strategies that were taught, coaching strategies, what to do when, um, how to ask this, how to ask that, what to do if they go off track, and so on. So, And I think that sometimes it's those uh, what-to-do type skills that um, are somewhat lacking, actually, in clinical and counselling psychology training. We know all about the theories, we know all about the conditions that people are going to present, and so on. Um, but I know that I... Learned quite a lot of those what to do type skills through supervision when I was a uh, you know early early in my training career and, and still now in my um, therapy career I should say and still now um, and also when you know speaking to other psychologists so it was it was excellent to have these strategies built in as part of the course so I would say that was a big plus of doing coaching training. Um, and it was a reminder of how psychology skills or therapy skills and coaching skills differed because of course hearing how to do this in a coach with a coaching focus our therapy skills came to mind and i would be constantly thinking so i do it that way in the therapy room but this is how I can do it through coaching. So those strategies and skills were very, very helpful. They weren't necessarily that complex, um, which is perhaps what I was expecting, because people who were on the course came from a whole range of different backgrounds. Um, so I don't think there was another psychologist there. Some HR professionals, some There was a headmistress or ex headmistress, and so on. So, you know, various backgrounds, and some actually quite young who hadn't really had much of a working life already. So, a great range of people. Um, I think the other big takeaway I took was uh, how how different uh, coaching psychology can be to some sorts of coaching. And so, that evolved into me deciding to um, name what I'm offering as in-depth coaching. So when I talk about it to new inquirers, when I send them a summary of how I work and so on, I, I especially refer to it as in-depth coaching, um, you know, uh, coaching psychologist uh, and I offer in-depth coaching. And so in that summary, I include something of, of course, we take into account uh, the background and and so on Um, and check for depression, anxiety and so on. And so make it clear that it's something a bit more than, or it can be something a bit more than, the more day-to-day strategies that don't need the psychological background um and i love actually i love working in this way um i love have knowing that i've got the background knowledge and skills to draw something into the present moment of discussing something with a coaching client that i can spot is relevant because i think as psychologists you know experienced psychologists we're, we're good at having that sort of helicopter view and thinking hang on a minute you said that a little while ago and that's just so relevant to what's going on right now or what you're talking about. Um, And I really like that combination of being able to draw on those sorts of skills and integrate it into a focus on now and the future. Um, So I, I, I got a lot from the coaching training. Uh, and was then able and enjoyed integrating it with my psychology and uh, therapy experience and skills.
0: Okay, and so it sounds like, well, okay, I'm just going to ask it. I'm trying to think of a less awkward way to ask it, but you mentioned earlier that um, one of the things you'd been curious about at the beginning of your journey was why coaches are paid more than um, psychologists or therapists or mental health professionals generally. Mm. And that is a question that comes up for me all the time. People ask mm. me that constantly. So I was wondering, as somebody who has um, got a fairly unusual position, having worked in both camps, mm. <laughs> what's your view on that now? What? Why is that? Mm. Yeah.
1: Um, my, my view on this is that therapy is an expense, you know, whether it's for the insurers who cap our rates at a certain point, whether it's for uh, even corporates who perhaps fund some therapy sessions for uh, an employee um but it's an expense it's uh in, in you know in blunt terms of course it's not as clear-cut as that but uh, i think it seems to be an expense so the insurers want to pay out as little as possible of course um and uh and employers will pay something but just to bring people back to being able to function well um whereas in my view coaching is seen to be more of an investment And so employers and individuals, I believe, will pay more for their coaching sessions because they will expect, realistically, and I think it's fair enough to expect this, and I would hope that the results would reflect this expectation, um, they would expect that the individual will be in a better position to do their job um, extremely well uh, in whatever area it is that they're coming to coaching for. So if it's for let's say, relationships within the workplace, you know, so a, a client might come, um, as you would imagine, I'm sort of amalgamating a few individuals here. But um, if you imagine a client comes to you because they're very senior, very good at their job, absolutely you know skilled um, as they can be, but they can't manage difficult people or they come across in a way that's not helpful to them or other people. Um, the employer or they, if they're self-funding, the coaching uh, course of coaching sessions, I think can expect um, to be able to manage that better in the future in order that the business will grow more successfully the business will make a lot more money than before, or if they're an individual, they will earn more in time because they're much better at their job. If it's to do with um, confidence uh, or some communication skills to in terms of presenting and so on, then it might be that this person is in a sales role and just needs to um, address uh, perhaps some self-doubts and so on that are getting in the way But when that's done, one would expect that they might bring in more business for the organisation. So that is many noughts for some businesses. Um, And so to invest something which might be in the thousands for a few months worth of support or or six months worth of support, let's say three or six months, will not seem such a... um, a mismatch in terms of the investment and return on that investment. So that's how I see it. Um, I also think that one needs to, as a coach, um, not just appear but be uh, professional and seem to be a, a sort of as senior, a professional and as experienced a professional, and as at least in some situations, well-paid-ish as that. It's a bit like presenting in a way, I think, that pre- presenting fees can be um, high per hour if you break it down like that compared to therapy fees because I think you just need to come across to be taken seriously, you know. Um, and very often uh, corporations, businesses, won't want to be employing the cheapest for their very senior um executives uh they will want to employ somebody who has the uh, the the weight of their background of their experience in terms of their their, um being known about and so on um and that comes at a price you know it's a it's a more business focused setting where often um numbers will reflect seniority and experience and expertise so i think it's um it's all those different things that, you know, the uh, the investment side of it, the expectations of results and what that means in terms of money um, and the way we present ourselves as coaching psychologists to be taken seriously. You know, somebody's earning many, many, many hundreds of thousands a year in, in a corporate setting. Um, I think if you're charging... What I guess for most therapists will lie between one and two hundred pounds an hour for a therapy session, whether wherever you are, London or or elsewhere. Um, that's going to seem uh, not very substantial.
0: Mm. That is so interesting because mm. I think a, a lot of us we don't have experience of that world. Mm. Certainly, before mm. a couple of years ago, I started dipping my toe into organisational work and working with corporates. And that is something that has really struck me between the eyes that I was not expecting, that you can very easily be way too cheap. Yes. Um, yeah. and, it, and it does – it devalues your skill sets, um, mm. but also just makes people think that you're not the right fit for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was really interesting when I, I put out a, an offer with a much higher fee that I, I got completely different people going for it, but mm. I but I got people <laughs> – Yes. Um, and I was very, very surprised. Um, mm-hmm. So I hope that people listening to this will start to incorporate a bit of that thinking into their pricing mm-hmm. strategy. If, if you are offering something yeah. um, to kind of executives or mm-hmm. to the, the corporate environment, you yeah. have to think about your pricing strategy quite differently and think about what that mm-hmm. communicates um, not just what you can get away with charging and still cover your bills, mm. which I think is yes. what we're used to thinking about yeah. a lot more. But I also want to pick up on what you said there about coaching being seen as an investment mm. where therapy is a bit more of a, a repair job that you wish you didn't have to pay out for, but you do. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think it's a bit sad, isn't it? I wish it wasn't seen like that, but I think you've hit the nail on the head. And that's exactly... That's exactly how it is perceived. Mm. I, I wonder if there's anything that you know we might be able to do um, mm. as as professionals to start shifting that. Um, but I, I think I've never heard it expressed so well. It's a really good way of explaining it. Mm, thank you. the
1: The um, approach to costings that I've been just talking about is what I perceive the corporate coaching to include. Um, of course, it's not the only way to use coaching skills or to be a coaching psychologist. So I know of others um, who choose to offer um, a very, very specific niche, niche uh, compassion coaching. And they have chosen that the population they wish to help and support with this is um, yeah, young mothers of young families mothers of young families. So women, she's very attuned to women, women's psychology and uh, coaching women. Um, And these are not, this is not therapy, this is coaching. Um, But uh, her, you know, her prices are, uh, reflect the population that she's working with. So it's a choice, but perhaps with um, coaching, the range of choices as as far as um, expected rates is concerned is much broader, I would say.
0: That's really interesting. Mm. Um, So I also wanted to ask you what life looks like now. So we've talked a bit about your your business journey and how you've gotten where you are. Mm. So what's life like for you now? What's life and business like?
1: Um, I'm really enjoying having made the the transition from um, providing purely therapy to providing almost exclusively coaching and coaching supervision now. Um, although I still have some therapy in, in my repertoire of, of work. Um, so I'm really enjoying that. It's tempting to say, you know, this is something I might have done earlier and and so on. But on the other hand, you know, we are the people we are because of all the experiences we've had, of course. So um, who knows? Um, so I'm, I'm really enjoying that. I have a Facebook group, um, High Rising Coaches, uh, which... Um, Actually, the, the net which which I'll, I'll go on for a moment, um, which is there to support people who are either doing this transition from psychologists to a coach, um, as well as other mostly newly qualified or less experienced coaches, um, to uh, get some more support and inspiration as to how they might continue with this journey and make a success of it. I was just going to mention the name of the group, High Rising Coaches. We used to have a family house in the UK, I'm now in Spain, um, called High Rising. Uh We really didn't know why, you know, why that (laughs) name? It used to be um, built, I think it was built, actually, by somebody who was a director of Marks and Spencers years ago. Wow. Um, Yeah, we didn't know the person. It had changed hands a few times before we got it. But we thought, well, maybe they were hoping for the shares to be high rising or something no idea um but it just sort of had quite a nice ring to it so we left it and so on so um but uh I haven't lived there you know for some years now but um we sold it quite a few years ago but when I was thinking of the name for the group and thinking of rising and high and success and so on I thought actually high rising coaches just sums up what I'm wanting to offer and so it's as if Now I know, you know, what that was. It sort of makes sense of having had that uh, name of the house all those years ago. So that's why it's called High Rising Coaches. Um, And uh, it's something I enjoy contributing to um, and making connections with. And, you know, I'm hoping that as well as providing uh, coaching to individuals, through corporate connections and so on that I will also be supporting coaches on their journey um, and in particular coaches who have come from the same background as I have, psychologists who are becoming coaches. Uh, So that's part of my working life today.
0: Fantastic and it sounds you know you've got something really valuable with your fuel model which I can see a lot of people benefiting from so can you tell us a little bit more about the fuel model and how that could help somebody making that transition
1: yeah yeah thanks for for mentioning it again it is something that I'm hoping to uh, raise awareness of uh, in the future So the fuel model came about, as I mentioned, by um, doing quite a lot of research on resilience. You know, what what had people discovered through noticing how some people managed to get through crises in, in less scathed than others. Um, And so I drew this together uh, to encompass what I considered, based on that research, to be four key elements of resilience. And they each begin with the letters of fuel, F-U-E-L. So F is for flexibility, absolutely key. Rigidity is the enemy of resilience. Um, And so flexibility needs to be in our thoughts, in our openness to experiencing feelings out of our usual comfort zone and in our behavior. So that section is um, fairly loosely, perhaps, based on CBT, especially the flexibility in thoughts, as you can imagine. So trying to silence the what if thoughts and so on. Um, U is to do with using resources, use of resources, internal resources and external resources. So first of all, knowing what we carry with us in terms of the internal resources, um, that includes our own strengths, as well as our skills and so on. And this focuses on um, the, 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 the strengths we have and instead of, of, as we often do, giving them away to others, uh, being caring and considerate and determined and encouraging for everyone else to do the same for ourselves as well, not instead of, but as well. And this is where that a part of my model comes in that uh, we were talking about earlier, the loyalty to oneself, you know, make sure that you use that resource that you have with, within you. If it needs strengthening, we do that, you know, as working through the model. Um, and then external resources as well, you know, realize we don't have to do everything on our own. Sometimes it's perfectly appropriate to ask for help, use help, use external resources. Some people find that extremely difficult to ask for help. So this is sometimes when, you know, a bit of the the more therapeutic or the the more background side of things uh, is relevant. So F and U and then E, almost my favorite one in some ways, is energize, make sure you recharge and uh, you uh, make sure that you you do what you need to do that re-energizes you. And so often people will say, how can I do that? You know, I just don't have time. That in itself, if you feel you don't have time is the red flag to uh, ignore it, your peril really. Um, and so it, knowing how important it is, you know, a bit like a high-performance car, you can't expect it to run at its best without fueling it. And you have to make time to go and get that done and be maintained and so on. Otherwise, it's just unrealistic to expect it to go at all. And we're the same. So uh, energize is what E stands for in the fuel model. And then L stands for locate your control. So as psychologists, we know about the locus of control. And uh, although for some people that's a very new idea, I've found that people really like this, this idea that you know, we can be either having a, an internal locus of control, a helpful version, or an external locus of control where we tend to just feel like a leaf in the wind if, if we believe that things external to us are controlling our experience of life. So those four elements, the flexibility, using resources, energizing and locating our control are the four that make up fuel. And uh, there are a number of exercises that um, I suggest people try out and we discuss in sessions and so on or in workshops. And although as psychologists, we know about these things, when I've um, run workshops to train coaches to coach for resilience in their clients. Um, it gives them a hand, a sort of convenient um, template, really, to to follow. Convenient for encouraging these skills in the clients, uh, from the coach's point of view, and convenient for the co- for the coachee or the client to remember and. Um, run through as a sort of checklist in their mind whenever they're feeling overwhelmed. Where can I do something to adjust each of these if it's necessary? Which area is the most relevant for me right now? So that's why why I speak about it quite a lot and uh, uh, what I'm hoping will be a more well-known model for encouraging resilience for others.
0: Yeah. So is that where the main effort is now is try and get this model out to more people and get more kind of coaches or psychologists or therapists making the transition to train up in it? Yeah, I would like
1: that to happen. I would like that um, coaches and coaching psychologists and psychologists, uh, if they want to integrate it into that final part of a course of therapy, for example, could um, could train in it, become aware of it and then spread the word. I, I have heard from clients sometimes that they also are spreading the word on my behalf by, you know, telling their sister or whoever it is who, who might uh, also be able to make use of it. Um, oh, that's so, got to be
0: the best yeah. feeling.
1: Yeah, yeah, it feels good, it feels good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I, I guess then what I'm I'm curious about, so you were in the Psychology Business School cohort one, which was in January. I can't believe, I can't believe no. how far back.
1: Nor <laughs> can I now you mention it.
0: it feels like yesterday, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. yeah. But so where did Psychology Business mm. School fit into your journey? Yeah, um, I think what, one of the key um,
1: impacts for me was that through having the focus on, on the business and, um, presenting my work and myself in the ways that psychology business school was encouraging, uh, thinking of the messages, thinking of the presentations on, it meant that I was thinking of myself more as, um, I don't know if entrepreneur is quite the right word for it, but more of as a a, having a business rather than having a practice, although it's a bit subtle perhaps to say that. Um, That was something that came to mind time and time again through the different um, aspects of and and elements of the course. Um, This is a business. We need to think of the impact on the client or the potential clients. We need to think about uh, the way messages are interpreted or misinterpreted. We need to think about numbers. We need to think about um, not just numbers in terms of finance but numbers in terms of the reach uh, that, that you might get and I think that, that the quality of connection with people is very important. And I know this is a message that you put across too, rather than just the number of people you have in a group and so on. Um, so, so it, it shifted my thinking from thinking of myself as a almost um, you know, jobbing psychologist or coach to uh, who has a practice who people can find out about, to thinking, actually, this is a business business. Um, Yes, it is appropriate to have an assistant. It is appropriate to have things automated. It is appropriate to um think about that sequence of emails and so on that um can be helpful to people um so so that shifted my mindset and my and then of course, it influenced my my decisions and my actions as a consequence of that. Very helpful. would thoroughly recommend it.
0: Oh, that's lovely to hear. I mean, what do you feel then? has been tangibly different as a result of doing the course for you
1: well what's been tangibly different is that i now have this coaches group and i am now focusing more on that side of things rather than the more general um, area of perhaps promoting uh, confidence and resilience to a more general population so it has meant that i thought very very carefully about not just the niche subject which I sort of already knew about but also the niche uh, audience who I wanted to reach the potential clients I have another Facebook group called calm confident and resilient which is for women and a much more general group Um, I don't monetize it Uh, it's something that I wanted to do as a sort of Um, lockdown support as it were um, in part for people who joined the group in part for me to have a project Uh, but with the coaches group I mentioned the high-rising coaches that was a was born from the psychology business school um, and it's done in a way which will allow me to monetize it and to Uh, run courses and groups um, and trainings uh, to people who I hope will benefit from from that. Mm. And I always liked your approach to combining business with psychology. Um, You know, I I suppose it's self-selective in a way. I think psychologists usually... Want to be helpful and kind and considerate and we don't want to rip people off and we don't want to um just think about money uh, that doesn't really you know do it for us i think we like a combination and that's appropriate we need to be properly rewarded i think for for what we offer um but i like that human touch within everything you you encouraged us in the group to um to think about and to practice so um, so yeah, that's worked really well.
0: Oh, that's so lovely to hear and I think what what comes through for me from that is that allowing yourself that mindset shift to start thinking of yourself as a business owner kind of mm. opened your minds to, the possibilities and the way that you could have impact in different ways mm. and I think that's what I see a lot of in psychology business school and, and actually it was my experience from being coached <laughs> mm. having it having a coach myself is what allowed me to do that mm. and start thinking you know how do I um, you know make the most impact for the most people um, and give myself the kind of life that I want to live too Rather than just, I used to think of myself as a freelance psychologist. Um, I really relate to that, that mindset shift where you're Mm. like, oh, I'm not, I'm a business owner. And that gives me the freedom to do things in a more creative way. And I'm so glad to hear that I've managed to pass that on a bit, because that's been such a big transformation for me personally. So that's really wonderful to hear. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that there are lots of people listening to this who will be interested in adding some coaching into their work. Um, so we know the Facebook group is High Rising Coaches. Yeah. Is, there, is there anywhere else people should go to connect with you or to, to mm. make contact with you if they want to know more about what you're doing, Rose?
1: Yes. Um, I'm always open to email contact um, because then you get straight to whatever the personal aspect is that somebody wants to find out about. And my email address is rose at dr-rose.com. Um I think we both tried to avoid our difficult to spell surnames <laughs>
0: Yeah, we have.
1: <laughs> but, um, so rose up Dr rosecom is the easiest one to remember and um, I have a website which I've had for quite some time probably in need of an update by now, but it still contains a, a, you know a, quite a lot of relevant things, including a summary of the fuel model. so people might like like to look at that. And that is rare, R-A-R-E, hyphen, consulting.com.
0: Brilliant. And I'll make sure there's links to all of that in the show notes. So if you want to connect with Rose, go through to the show notes and you can click straight through to her Facebook group or her website. And I'll put her email address in there as well. Because I'm sure there's going to be lots of people that do want to connect with you, Rose. Thank you so much for sharing your journey and about the fuel model today really fascinating stuff and I love what you're doing very proud of my cohort one thank (laughs) you so much school member (laughs) thank you
1: it's been my pleasure to be here
0: are you looking to build an independent practice that is fulfilling impactful and financially rewarding did you know that I run a business course that's designed to help you do exactly that without making all the mistakes I made along the way Over 12 weeks, we take you through everything you need to know to set up a practice that lets you live your values. Through a combination of teaching from experts, legal templates to make sure your practice is covered, peer support and group coaching sessions, this is the place for anyone looking to get off the starting blocks in private practice. The course is always accessible in pre-recorded format and three times a year we run a live cohort. So what are you waiting for? Join us at psychologybusinessschool.com forward slash the psychology business school. The links in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the business of psychology podcast. If you share my passion for doing more than therapy, then make sure you come over and join my free do more than therapy Facebook community where you can work on getting your big ideas off the ground with like-minded psychologists and therapists. I'd also love it if you could leave this show a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It will help more of the people who need it to find it. See you next week for more tips and inspirational stories to help you do more than therapy.